Good morning. First of all, thanks to Pastor Christie for inviting me to speak this morning and giving me absolute freedom to speak on anything I chose. That's a risk. Well done, Pastor. <laughs> I've chosen to speak on the subject of forgiveness, of receiving and then releasing forgiveness. And I want to refer to the three most liberating words in the English language. I forgive you. Why do I say those words are liberating? Well, they're liberating to the person who says them because they avoid us holding on to a grudge for something that was done to us. We, we all face challenges in our lives, and at times things hurt. But to be able to say to the person that hurt us, I forgive you, enables us to get rid of that grudge. It isn't easy, but it enables to get rid of that grudge and release them. What's more, to hear those words, I forgive you, enables us to get rid of that feeling of guilt and that we've a debt to pay them to try and earn their favor. So in whichever way you apply it, whether you say it or you hear it, those three words, I forgive you, are incredibly liberating. We're going to turn to the scriptures for our message from Matthew chapter 18 where the Apostle Peter asked the Lord Jesus about this whole subject of forgiveness and asked the question, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister? Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and following. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or some versions say 70 times seven. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Challenging words. Why was it that Simon Peter asked the question, how many times should I forgive? Well, you've got to go back a few verses earlier. A few verses earlier, Jesus is describing the possibility that even within the Christian community, we will feel sinned against by another member of our congregation. Seems strange to admit it, but that's what he said. So we read from verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother, it's always the brother, uh, sins against you, go show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So Peter understood this whole process of reconciling people within the community when there is a a tension and stress. He recognized that the end result should be forgiveness. That the whole purpose of confronting a brother or sister is not to make them pay, but to give them the chance to say sorry. And when someone says sorry, we should release forgiveness to them. So that was the context for the question. Jesus described in situations where there are tensions and stress in relationships, where we need to not talk to other people about it, but approach the person privately, not with an accusation, with a question. I didn't quite understand what happened there. I'm sure you didn't intend to. Give them a chance to say, oh, I hadn't realized it came across like that. How often that is the case, isn't it? Uh, Just last week, we had our conference uh, at Fullwood, whole host of ministers and leaders from across the churches, and I had a rather difficult conversation with one of my fellow ministers. I felt there was something I needed to challenge him about. And it wasn't an easy conversation, and I realized that he didn't receive it well. So I had to say, really, I'm sorry, it wasn't my intention to offend you. Please, will you forgive me? And I, I didn't say I'm so, just to say I'm sorry. I said, am I forgiven? Because we need to reach that point where we don't just say I'm sorry. Most of us have been brought up to say I'm sorry. From, from a little boy, I learned that was a useful word, sorry. <laughs> it got me out of all sorts of scrapes. But, but to, to move beyond I'm sorry, to ask the person who we apologize to, can you forgive me? That takes us to a whole new level. But we're going to focus on the parable, the story Jesus told. Because it doesn't seem to make sense at first, does it? How could someone be forgiven a massive debt and then go debt collecting to somebody else? 
Well, it does make sense when you read the parable carefully, but let's look at the parable more closely. First of all, let's notice that the debt this servant owed the king or the master was totally unpayable. It was an absolutely astronomical amount of money. 10,000 talents doesn't sound much to us until you realize that a working man could only earn 10 talents in a lifetime. So it would be a 1,000 lifetimes of employment to pay this massive debt. So there's no way in this world that this servant could ever hope to repay this debt. It was totally unpayable. But the king took pity on him. Notice, he cancelled the debt. That's the key. That this massive debt that was unpayable by the servant was forgiven, wiped out, erased by the king, the master. Now, either the servant didn't hear the master correctly, or the servant was too proud to accept this offer of debt-cancelling forgiveness, But for whatever reason, he didn't receive. Because actually, he didn't ask for forgiveness, did he? That's the key to it. He asked for time. He didn't ask for the debt to be wiped out. He asked for more time to pay it. And because he hadn't asked for forgiveness, he didn't accept forgiveness. Because he didn't accept forgiveness, he couldn't forgive anybody else. This... Debt that he owed was totally unpayable. Now, here's the truth. You and I are debtors in that we have broken God's law so many times. And we can come to God and say, well, I'll try harder. I'll be good for a week instead of that one day when I was bad. But we could never, ever wipe out the debt that we owe to our Heavenly Father for the sins we've committed. But the good news is that if we'll just come and say, I'm sorry. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiven and cleansed. Forgiven and forgotten. The debt paid. Isaiah 43:25 I'm he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more Him writer put it isn't it my sin or the bliss of that glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to its cross and I bear it no more it is well It is well with my soul. Here's the key to being a forgiving person. It's to become a forgiven person. And unless we understand and embrace the depth of God's amazing forgiveness in knowing all about the worst things we have ever done, nobody else may know, but he knows. And yet, he says, I won't give you more time to change. I'll take the debt. I'll tear up the bill. You're free. You're forgiven. In fact, that's what the cross was all about, you know. When Jesus hung on the cross, he used those words, it is finished. Equally could be translated, it is paid. Debt fully paid. 
for the debt that we owe is totally unpayable by human effort. That's why God sent his son into our world to take that debt upon his shoulders and to take the punishment that we deserve and offer to us, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So the first point, verses 23 to 27, the debt he owed was unpayable. Second, let's look at verses 28 to 30. Let's let's read them. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Why did he do this? I'll tell you why he did this. Because he was still trying to collect debts so that he could pay the king. You see, the reason he thought he was in debt to the king was because he felt everyone else had let him down. If only those people had paid what they owed him, he could pay the king what he owed the king. We should stop blaming other people for our mistakes. And we should own up simply to the king and say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Not like the Pharisee who prayed, I've done this, that and the other, but to simply say, I'm in your debt, I can't pay it, but I'm thankful that you paid the price for my sins. So he hadn't asked for forgiveness, he'd asked for more time, because he thought if only he could find all those people who owed him money, he would collect enough to pay the the debt. And finding one who owed him a tiny amount, a hundred denarii is a hundred days' pay. Tiny compared to a thousand lifetimes of work. But that person symbolized the fact that people continually let him down. Maybe our attitude and reaction to other people sometimes is not in proportion to what happens to us, but triggers a memory of something that happened before. Because we haven't actually forgiven the original person, we react badly to the new person who presses the wrong button. So secondly, I didn't give you the point, did it? The strategy he adopted is unreasonable. The debt he owed was unpayable. The strategy he adopted was unreasonable. He would have to spend a lifetime debt collecting. Not the best profession in the world, is it? Not the sort of people we want to spend a lot of time with. And it's true to say that some people, sadly because they haven't accepted forgiveness, go around with a bad attitude that infects other people. And yet, it's possible to take the pain and injury that comes our way and not allow it to eat us up and spoil and make us bitter and twisted. In the Old Testament, we have Joseph sold by his brothers as a slave to Egypt, falsely accused, thrown in prison. 
but yet could see that although men intended what happened to him for evil, God had allowed it for good. To see God's purpose and God's plan, even in the most painful and unjust experiences, and to believe that God can use even the painful experiences of our lives to prepare us to serve him in new and better ways. Or we could think of Stephen in the New Testament, the first Christian martyr, who reflects the very attitude of Jesus when the stones are hurled at him. He's praying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Rather like Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So if the debt he owed was unpayable, and the strategy he adopted was unreasonable, what about verses 31 to 35? Where the response he provoked was unimaginable. Let's read verses 31 to 35. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all the money he owed. We're bad enough if uh, the story stopped there, but there's another verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. But you're saying to me, wait a minute, you don't know what my brother did. You don't know what my sister did. You don't know how unjust that was. You don't know how painful it was. You mean, I've got to forgive the person who abused me? The person who, if the authorities knew, would throw him or her in prison? You mean I've got to forgive them? It doesn't say you've got to be reconciled with them. But it does say you've got to forgive them. You can only be reconciled with someone who owns up, apologizes, and asks for forgiveness. But you can forgive them before that happens. Because if we don't forgive, we hold the grudge. And if we hold the grudge, it eats us up. But if we forgive them, we're released. We don't say that what they did didn't matter. We don't say that what they did will never have to be accounted for. We simply say, there's a judge and it's not me. There's a judge in heaven. And he is the one who will bring to light things hidden in darkness. He will disclose the motives of a person's heart. And on that day, each will receive his reward from God. So we forgive because we're not the judge, we're not the jury. We may misjudge a situation. We may think we understand, but we probably don't. But there is a judge. Our task, however, is to forgive. Is to forgive. A failure to forgive on our part means we will be tormented or tortured. That's what it says, isn't it? 
You see, there are people who are watching us. The fellow servants were watching this servant and they heard what he said and they told the king what was going on. And the king, stroke master, he said, that's not right. I wiped out your debt. Please forgive others because I've forgiven you. So the key to being a forgiving person is to be a forgiven person. And the reason you and I struggle to forgive others is that we haven't yet understood the depth of God's forgiveness for us. Forgiven, forgotten, forever. Chosen not to remember our sins anymore. So we might uh, we might hark back to the past failing. And God says, I, uh, I don't remember that because he's forgiven and forgotten it. Unimaginable torment in this life if we don't forgive. And worse still, if we're not a forgiven person when we stand before the judge, we've no chance at all. But there's no reason why you and I should not be forgiven. For Jesus died not for some, but for all. He offers forgiveness not just to some, but for all. For all have sinned, but all can be forgiven. It simply needs us to say, Father, forgive me. I confess my sins. I know you're faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The servant couldn't forgive because he'd never asked to be forgiven. Even though he was forgiven, he hadn't accepted forgiveness. And because he hadn't experienced forgiveness, he couldn't be a forgiving person. That's the core of this story. But being able to forgive someone, even when the situation is totally unjust, is a tremendously powerful thing. So powerful a thing that I'm going to ask Sue to read an account of this happening in a church in America. This is a story I can't read. Because it always moves me to tears. So this is from a a book by Pastor Dennis Kinlaw in in the States. And his wife was called Elsie. And it kept referring referring to her when we heard him speak. In a pastorate that Elsie and I served some years ago, we had difficulty finding enough people to serve in places of leadership. Sounds familiar? But one talented young woman agreed to serve as the adult Sunday school teacher. As she taught, she began to hurt some people's feelings. One day, as I was visiting, she met me at her door with tears in her eyes. What's the trouble, I asked. Oh, I've just received a petition from the adults in the church. They want me to resign as teacher of the Sunday school class. You can't do that, I said. I must do that, she replied. The thing that breaks my heart is that I just got my husband to agree to go to church with me. I hoped he would have a chance to come and know Christ. Now we can't go back to church because they don't want us. What would you do if Christ asked you to go back? He wouldn't ask me to do that. Are you sure, I asked. If I did go back, what would happen to my husband? He'd mop the middle aisle of that church with the fellow whose name heads that petition. 
Well, if you must go back to church full of bitterness and resentment, you shouldn't go. But can you go back next Sunday and pray for the woman who's going to teach your class? And can you love her? The woman exploded in tears. When she finally regained her composure, she said, It'll take grace to do that. Yes, it would, I said. Don't you think God could give you the grace to do that? The next Sunday she went. She sat there in the third row of the class and prayed for the woman who took her place. She went back to that class Sunday after Sunday. To the end of my time at that church, as Elsie and I drove into the church car park one Sunday morning, we were flagged down by the man who'd headed the petition. He said, Dennis, have you heard what happened to Tom? He said, Dennis, I've heard, have you heard what, sorry, I've read that before. I don't understand it, the messenger continued. But Tom got saved last night. That's impossible, I said in my naive youthfulness. There aren't any revival meetings going on. I know that, the man said, but Tom says it's so. So I went to Tom and asked him what had happened. His eyes brimmed with tears, and he said, Last night I found God. How? I asked. Well, you know that wife of mine. You remember what they did to her in that Sunday school class? It made me so angry that I was ready to kill them all. But every night, before we went to sleep, she'd kneel beside the bed and pray for them all. While she prayed, I stewed. But while she was praying last night, I rolled out onto my knees and said, Honey, pray for me. I'm the one who needs it. Beside the bed with my wife, I found God last night. It's a universal law. Keep your life for yourself and it'll be sterile. Give it wholly to the Lord and it will bear fruit. The three most liberating words in the English language, I forgive you. Most liberating when we hear them spoken from the lips of Jesus. I forgive you. I wonder this morning, is there someone that feels just a sense of guilt? You can know forgiveness today. Is there someone that's holding a grudge against another person? You can know that lifted as you transfer the sense of injustice to the hands of a righteous judge. Members of the prayer team will be available at the end of the service sat here at the front. Please come and ask them to pray with you. Experience forgiveness. And let's be part of a forgiving congregation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're amazed that you should be willing to pay the price, take the debt, and cancel it. Help us to receive your forgiveness. And then be those who are willing, yes, to at times to confront one another, to challenge one another, but ultimately to forgive one another. 
as you have first forgiven us. Amen.